Welcome to this episode of Where There's Smoke, where we talk about your self-development through the filter of current events, sports, and pop culture. And I am your host, Brett Gaida. Now, what do we do here at Where There's Smoke? Well, you know, sometimes I say that we, we look at what's really happening and what's happening. Try to see between the lines. And, and other times, like today, it's maybe just when everyone is talking about one thing, noticing something else about it. You ever notice that? You know, when, when something happens, someone says something, there's a quote, an interview, an event, people tend to gravitate towards one thing, and that becomes the soundbite. That becomes the news story. So recently, there was a news story that Tom Brady, the quarterback for the New England Patriots, goes to bed at 8.30 p.m., and this was big news. Quickly, Jamal Charles. Patriots quarterback Tom Brady, the guy is a phenom, still going strong at age 37. But what keeps him going strong may also be what trips him up during night games like this one. He is no night owl. Brady admits he goes to bed at like 8.30 each night. His worst game this year was that one, started at 8.30 against the Chiefs. Now this apparent factoid got grabbed, latched onto, and passed around pretty quickly. Business Insider had an article on it, NBC, Fox, The Score, Comcast, Sportsnet, the headline everywhere, Tom Brady in bed by 8.30 p.m. Now... Interestingly enough, if you listen to the original interview from WEEI in Boston, Tom didn't even say that. It came from another source entirely, and a slightly buzzed one at that. What, what are we doing? What's your problem? <laughs> hey, uh, Tom, we talked last week. There was a story Bill Simmons had in one of his columns. He was hanging out with Julian Edelman, and he said they had a few drinks in them, and Edelman was raving about you and, and saying how people don't understand how dedicated you are to the job. And he mentioned that you go to bed at 8.30 every night. I guess you didn't do it last night, not quite 8.30, but uh, we were discussing whether that's really true. And As you will hear in a moment, Tom confirms that he goes to bed early, but he never confirms the actual time. Now that said, while I'm here to discuss a few things, I am not here to rile against the questionable media practice of taking hearsay, overheard conversations, smoke signals and opinions and turn them into facts, at least not today. So we'll just leave that for a future conversation. Let's play a little bit more of the WEEI interview and hear what Tom said. That you go to bed at 8.30 every night. I guess you didn't do it last night, not quite 8.30, but uh, we were discussing whether that's really true. I do go to bed very early because I'm up very early. I think that the decisions that I make are always, they always probably center around performance enhancement. I want to be the best I can be every day. I want to be the best I could be every week. I want to be the best I can for my teammates, so... There's really nothing else that I enjoy like playing football. So I just, I want to do it for as long as I can. If you hear this whole interview, there is so much around high performance and self-development that we could expand on. Tom talks about consistency in the process, knowing your priorities, commitment, using different approaches, the art of great decisions. There is a lot we could pull from this interview. Heck, you could even go in this direction. Welcome back to the road show this morning in the buzz. We are chatting about that always coveted fountain of youth. Well, Patriots quarterback Tom Brady recently opened up about it in an interview with WEI. His secret? Getting plenty of sleep each night. He even admitted to going to bed as early as 8.30. Now, he's not the only one thinking about maintaining his look. <laughs> He's not the only one thinking about maintaining his looks? What? I mean, where in the interview did Tom Brady say anything about maintaining his looks and linking going to bed early to maintaining his looks? I, I, 
anyways, I, I digress. I digress. Here at Where There's Smoke, we're all about looking where others don't look. So perhaps I should be applauding the roadshow, which is where that clip came from, for seeing between the lines that Tom Brady was actually talking about how does he remain so good looking. I'm, I'm sure Zoolander would really appreciate that. Did you ever think that maybe there's more to life than being really, really, really ridiculously good looking? I want to talk about what really caught my attention in this interview. Because what caught my attention when I looked up the radio interview and I pressed play to hear the entire thing, my attention was caught in the very first sentence. I guess if you're Tom Brady, being on time means you're late. He's three minutes early. Tom Brady joins us. Did you hear it? Let me play it one more time. I guess if you're Tom Brady, being on time means you're late. On time means you're late. On time means you're late. If you're Tom Brady, being on time means you're late. Now, genuinely, I'm not making this up. This is what really caught my attention. I thought, that is so cool. Tom Brady has set up a radio interview at X time, and he showed up three minutes early. Now, when I heard it, I was immediately reminded of this great bit by one of my favorite comedians, Mike Birbiglia. He talks about the difference between on-time people and late people. My wife's a late person. Uh-huh. I don't know if you have this with your wife. Where, uh, Mine's not bad, but I like to be on time. That's I like to my, be on time, yeah. too. And yeah. I think that there's a real delineation between late people and on-time people. And I think what, what late people don't realize about us on-time people is that we hate them. And, <laughs> The reason that we hate them is that it, it's, um, it's so easy to be on time. You just have to be early. And early lasts for hours. <laughs> and on time just lasts a second. You're and, right. And then you're late. <laughs> and uh, I always try and teach my, my late friends with using sounds. I'll be like, early, 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 on time, late! <laughs> Now, I don't know if Tom Brady is a Mike Birbiglia fan, though Mike is from just outside of Boston and Tom has been playing football there for over 10 years, so maybe it's possible. But it does appear that Tom appreciates and is respectful of this idea of being on time. And maybe he actually believes the same thing Mike believes, that the easiest way to be on time is to be early. Now, some of you who know me and have heard me speak before might not be surprised that this is what caught my attention because you know I got a big thing around this. It drives me absolutely crazy that people have so little respect for being on time and keeping their word when they say they're gonna be somewhere. Now, I'm not alone in this. And one of the people in my corner is Greg Savage, who's a leader and a speaker in the recruitment industry. He had an article posted on the Huffington Post about a year ago. And I remember this article popping around social media. The article was called, How did it get to be okay for people to be late for everything? And now it's become one of the most popular stories online right now. I like the original title of the article, which Greg posted on his blog three years earlier, which was, no, you are not running late. You are rude and selfish. Because that got a lot more to the point. My personal belief on this for years has been that when you show up late for something, you're basically saying F you to the people who are already there. And Greg does a really good job of making this point in his article where he says, people drift in at 9.10 or 9.20 or even later. They smile warmly at the waiting group as they unwrap their bacon sandwich, apparently totally unconcerned that others have been there since 5 to 9, prepared and ready to start. And I'll get this next part because I love that Greg now takes some math here to really hit it home. And he says, 10 people kept waiting in a meeting for 20 minutes for some selfish prat who idles his way via the coffee shop. 
is actually 20 minutes times 10, which is 200 minutes wasted. Okay, that's over three hours wasted. How much does that cost the business? Think about that. 200 minutes of time wasted because one person decides to stroll into a meeting 20 minutes late. Now, I experience this all the time in corporate America. And frankly, I find it startling. I sometimes can't even believe that companies manage to carry themselves with a level of professionalism and get things done with the casualness that people have around time. I live in San Francisco. I do a lot of work with companies down in Silicon Valley. I was recently working with a very large corporation, billions and billions of dollars a year. Everyone listening to this podcast probably knows who they are. I won't say their name, but I will say that if you know to say the word B in Pig Latin, you can probably figure it out. Look, great company, great people, great culture, great values. I love them. And yet an incredible casualness around time, partly really due to that amiable culture they have perhaps. And and, and so working with some of the managers there in Silicon Valley and having conversations with them about the fact that people stroll in five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes late, like it's no big deal. And having people tell me, well, you know, this is just our culture. I'm always like, really? Really? So if, if I called your CEO and I said, I want to compliment you on what an incredible culture you've built here. I particularly am impressed with this idea that you set up meetings at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock and then people just stroll in at 9.05 or 10.10. It's, it's really great. And that his response would be, thank you very much. We, uh, we work really hard at that in particular. I don't think so. Now I use this company as one example and I want to be clear. They are just that one example. Because I work with companies and individuals all over the world, and I see this everywhere. It is an epidemic. And why should you care? Because it is drastically affecting your business and your life in ways that you may not even realize. It's not just the wasted time. Trust starts to deteriorate. And as that is the foundation of any relationship, relationships start to deteriorate. That affects partnerships, teams, divisions, cultures, and people will do what you do, not what you say. So when you start to wonder why there's a casualness around deadlines, people showing up late for meetings and in the mornings, ask yourself, what are they observing? A nine o'clock meeting that starts at 9.10 without anyone even saying anything? I'm not saying that everything is always going to start on time. And I'm certainly not saying that everyone is going to start showing up on time. I'm just saying, let's acknowledge it. So if you're at a nine o'clock meeting and not everyone's there at nine o'clock, and there are a couple of key people that you're waiting for, say something. Acknowledge everyone. Excuse me, everyone. We are scheduled to start at nine o'clock. First of all, I want to acknowledge each and every one of you for being on time, for respecting the time of the meeting and everyone attending the meeting. Now that said, there are a couple of people not here who are very key to this meeting. And so if we start without them, we're just going to have to repeat everything again. And that's going to waste even more of your time. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to wait just five minutes. And at 9.05, we are going to start with whoever's here. Renegotiate the meeting. Acknowledge what's really happening. And in times when you're late, say something. And when I say something, I don't mean an excuse. Because everyone sits in the same traffic you do. Everyone has things come up. Everyone has reasons. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want the world to know that I was late. And I'm sorry. My car ran out of gas. I need fresh drawers. My mother's sick. The car broke down down the street. Newsflash. Everyone is busy. 
and your excuses, they are just another FU on top of your FU. So skip the excuse and acknowledge it. Acknowledge that you screwed up, you messed up, you were disrespectful, you dropped the ball, and you will do better next time. Make a commitment to those that are there that you'll be on time next time, and then do better. Now, I'm definitely making a leap to assume that Tom Brady is always on time. I mean, maybe this was just an exception, but I doubt it. Because Tom excels at a sport and in a position where timing is critical. You find out life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small. I mean, one half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow, too fast, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. You get to decide how you play your game, in your business, in your life, with your team, your employees, your friends, your families, your kids. And I'm not here to tell you what is right or wrong. I have no idea. I am simply here to provide a perspective and suggest that your actions might have some repercussions that are not in alignment with what you want. So again, you get to decide if you'll be a minute too late or a minute early, AKA on time. To further explore this, I decided to talk to someone who has been studying it for years. Now, Sam Silverstein will tell you that he is a husband and a father first. He praises his amazing wife and loves his four kids. In addition, though, Sam is also the author of No More Excuses, and he heads up an organization that is a think tank on accountability. I spoke to Sam a few weeks ago, and we're going to pick up the conversation very early on, as I have asked Sam to comment on what excuses are ultimately costing us in our lives and our businesses. When you look at a, an individual or a company, this idea of you know how expensive the excuses are, what, what would you what would you say? You know, we talked about that. No more excuses. We go kind of deep into that. And here's the thing: is that uh, all we all use excuses. We 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 do that. We're almost taught at birth to start using excuses. It's like, well, why didn't you get your homework done? And in, unless we give a really good excuse, it's just not accepted. You know, it's it's so it's like our parents are even encouraging us to come up with excuses because the fact that, well, I just didn't do it isn't good enough. Um, what happens is this, though, is what our studies have shown is when we focus on what we can't control, we come up with excuses. We get excuses. And when we focus on what we can control, we get results. Now, think about that. Think about it in the sense of business. When we focus on what we can't control, what, you know, what can you not control in your business? Uh, I mean, I would say I can't control what other people do, for sure. Okay. I can't control the yeah. market. You can't control, yeah, you can't control the economy, right? That, that, that's not in our control. So if we start dealing with and focus on those areas, then what happens is we start coming up with excuses. Well, Brett, why is, you know, why is your business flat? Well, you know, the economy's down. Well, that's an excuse. And it's an excuse because you're focused on something you have no control over. Now, if you turn things around and you go, 
all right, what do I have control over with regards to my business? Because I don't have control over the market, the economy. I don't have control over other people, but I have control over where I spend my time. I have control over how I market my products. I have control over how I train my people. I have control over how I, I grow and educate myself and grow and develop the people around me. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And when you start focusing your time on what it is that you can control, then what you find is you're not getting excuses, you're getting results. The cost of those excuses of being stagnant or or going out of business are enormous. And the benefits and the re rewards of the results by focusing on what you can control are equally off the chart in the other direction. Yeah. And one of the things, Sam, that, that again, it really, I remember hit me when I originally read the book is there's two sides to this coin, right? Because one side is, are we giving excuses? But the other side is, are we accepting excuses? And I, I, I'm slightly paraphrasing, but you wrote something in your book along the lines of, you know, giving or accepting an excuse makes us weaker as people. And again, that's one of those statements that I like about you where it, it kind of hits me right, right in the gut, but it's the truth. And can you talk about that a little bit? It's almost as detrimental to our culture to accept the excuse as it is to give it. Well, it is. And culture is an interesting thing. Culture in an organization, all organ, you know, we work with organizations expressly to help them develop a culture that prioritizes and inspires accountability. You know, and I repeat that because it's critical. And here's the thing. All organizations have culture. Now, your organization could be your business. Your organization could be your community. Your organization could be your family unit. Um, all organizations have culture, and it's either a culture by default or culture by design. A culture by default is one that where just anything goes. You just let anything happen, that whatever happens, happens, and that's the way it is. A culture by design, you've actually said, this is how I want to live my life. This is how I want my business to run. This is how we do things here. And when someone gives you an excuse and you just allow them to make excuses and move on, then you're empowering them. You're saying it's okay to make excuses. It's okay to not get your job done. It's okay to not fulfill the commitments that you've made to me. It's okay to just do anything and anything goes and to treat me any way you want to treat me. And as soon as you go down that road, you create a caustic situation where you can never be at your best. The people you lead, whether it's in your professional life or your personal life, the people you lead, you can never lead them to be their best. And so you must set an expectation that excuses just are not part of our culture. And you make that determination and then you move forward from there. One of the things, again, you talk about a lot is that accountability is accountability to ourselves, right? Not to violate our own values. And I always find it interesting when people in a company will say something like, well, that's just the way we do it here. And I think, well, who cares how you how it's done here? How do you want to do it, right? Well, that they mesh. But, you know, since we've written No More Excuses, we... You know, our research never ends. I told you we're we're in a, basically in a, an accountability think tank is what we are. And and um, what what we've done is taken this even deeper and deeper and deeper. And here's how it works. As an organization, the, the highest performing organizations we find, the most accountable organizations we find are those organizations that that have certain things in place. And one of the things is that they clearly define what they believe is an organization. They communicate that and everyone in the organization knows this is how we do it here. Now, if your beliefs don't align with the organizational beliefs, it's not going to be a good fit. 
So when you're hiring someone, you don't hire someone because they can run a cash register. You don't hire someone because they can run a snowplow. You don't hire someone because they're a good accountant. You hire someone because their value set, their attributes will mesh with the culture of your organization. And then you worry about the skill set. Because if the skill set is intact, but they don't mesh with the culture, then you're either going to have a culture of anything goes or they're not going to fit in. So you hire slow, you find people with the right attributes, and then you fire quickly. So you have to train people, you have to teach them what the culture is. But when someone doesn't fit into the culture, then you sit down and you talk to them and you say, you know, we talked about how we respect each other's time, that time is important, and you're constantly late to the meetings. And so that's just not the way we do it around here. And and you have that conversation with me if that's the way that I'm acting. And if I continue to do it, then it's real simple. You allow me to go someplace else where that kind of behavior is accepted. Because ultimately, the most important job you have as a CEO is to define, protect, and defend your culture, because that's the only thing that's going to separate you from another organization. I don't care what business you're in, there's someone else in that same business. Whether you're selling tires, whether you're selling automobiles, whether you're whether you're um, an, an accountant, an attorney, the only thing that's going to differentiate is the culture that you establish, that you're willing to fight for, that you're willing to defend. And so what we've discovered is those organizations that really define uh, a, a wonderful culture and fight for and defend that culture, they create a place where they're going to excel and they don't accept someone's excuses and they don't accept someone coming up short because that's not how they do it there. Yeah, it's interesting uh, around this idea, which is something that I've you know been involved with for about 10 years myself in, in all of my trains and teachings. It, it seems so simple, right? Like someone says, well, well, what do I do to, what do I need to change to keep my word or what do I need to change to be on time? And, you know, the, the answer is, well, just keep your word and just be on time. But I feel like people somehow want something else. And, and I don't know what that something else is. Um, and so when you're, when you're talking to an individual or an organization and you feel like, let's say they're, they seem like they're way off the rails as far as accountability goes, is there somewhere, that you uh, traditionally tell them to start, or does it really just depend on the individual or organization? Well, we f- it's really interesting, Brett. We find the organizations that need us the most uh, don't hire us. And the reason that is, is because they're in such bad shape. They're in that shape because they're not looking to grow. They say they are, but they're not. If they were, they would be growing. And they would be getting better. And so the, the companies that, you know, that are already kind of on the right track and want to get better. Those are the ones that are eager to, to bring us in because they're on the right track. They want to get better. They know they want to get better. They continuously work on it. It's just, it's interesting. And so they're open to ideas and they're open to, to looking at what is working and maybe more importantly, what isn't working. But where we start with it with an organization, we're getting ready to start with a new one just in a couple of weeks here. We have a commitment for one year to help transform this organization. We're gonna, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to stop and we're going to look at what it is they say they believe. And we're going to talk about that and find out if they really believe it. And then what does that look like? And if you say you believe something, how does that show me where it's, where it's showing up in your organization? Because if you can't show me where it's showing up in your organization, then you don't believe it. And that's that's where it really starts. Hmm. Once you have clarity around what you believe, then accountability is is really living that. And you know, we define accountability as keeping your commitments to people 
There's a difference between responsibility and accountability. You're responsible for things. You're accountable to people. You're responsible for things. You're responsible to to um, get that report done. You're responsible to uh, wash the car. But you're accountable to me, and I'm accountable to you. And so then the question becomes, what's a commitment? And we look at commitments as absolute. And you can't justify around a commitment. You can't rationalize around a commitment. You know, I made a commitment to be with you at a certain time for this interview. That was a commitment. Now, to truly be a commitment, that means I can't call you and say, you know what, I got something, I got another opportunity where they're paying me a lot of money, so let's put this off. Well, then I didn't make a, com- that wasn't a commitment that I made to you. That was just a, well, you know, if I'm available, I'll be there. And if I'm not available, I'll be there. But that's not what I told you. I told you I'd be here at 10 o'clock. We set this time up. So I'm here, no matter what. Yeah, I once heard a, a, a definition of commitment that I've always liked, which was, it's a choice we make and surrender to, right? So the idea that I've made the choice and that's it, as opposed to what I experience a lot, which is, well, that's what I'm saying I'm going to do right now, unless I change my mind 10 minutes before kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I've, I've always liked that idea of, you know, really surrender, meaning that it, it is, it's, it's, it's done. So as we, we close this interview out, Sam, what I'd love to do is give people some you know, some tools or a direction they can go if a lot of what you're talking about is resonating with them. Now, obviously, uh, you know, I, I was introduced to you by seeing you speak and, and I immediately purchased your book, No More Excuses. And that's become a, a great Bible for me. And, and for those of you out there, that is definitely somewhere I would send you first and foremost uh, as a, a way to understand what Sam calls the five accountabilities and to really, you know, dig into some of, you know, how can I do some of this stuff? What are some other, uh, you know, avenues or maybe things you're working on or anything that you'd want to share with our audience about places they can go to to, to do a deeper dive on this or even to work with you? Well, uh, the best place to start is is our website. You can go to beaccountable.com, beaccountable.com. So it's just beaccountable.com. Um, and we have resources there, hundreds of articles, videos, things like that. And the book, No More Excuses, is available on the website. Um, we also have a new book coming out called Making Accountable Decisions. That's going to be available. And then uh, following that in a few months, we have another one called Non-Negotiable, which is really going to take it to another level. So all those resources are there. And I love to connect on Twitter. And the Twitter handle is simply Sam Silverstein. We have these resources available, but the key is is to take the time and and really think about what is it that you believe. Because you know what? If you're not getting the results you want, it's tied to a belief. It's not tied to an action. Don't think about changing what you do. Think about changing what you believe. If your beliefs aren't getting you the results you want, it's the beliefs that need to be changed, not the actions. And you say, well, I'm not doing the things I need to be doing. Well, then there's a belief problem there. And when you go back to that bedrock, I'm telling you, it changes everything. And so that's my encouragement where to start. Fantastic. Well, that is uh, great advice for our listeners, for sure. It, it, it always starts with why, as, as so many uh, wise people tell us. And um, so I just want to thank you again, Sam, for, for, the, for the time today uh, and encourage everyone uh, listening to check out Sam's website, link with him on Twitter, and uh, look forward to those, uh, those two books coming out here in the, in the near future. Thank you, Brett. All right. You bet, Sam. So it starts with what you believe. Absolutely. Perhaps after listening to this episode, some of your beliefs have shifted around being on time and accountability. Or maybe for you, you already had those beliefs and this has just acted as a check-in for you. 
You know, whatever it is, this is a new moment. Every day is the first day of the rest of your life. So how do you want to be now? That brings us to the tail end of this episode. This weekend, our guest, Tom Brady, will be facing off against Russell Wilson in Super Bowl XLIX. I've never quite figured out why they don't just number these things. Those letters seem weird and random. Anyway, I, uh, I'd wish both teams luck, but he went out in the last round. So I will simply say, have a great game and may the team with the most points at the end win. Where There's Smoke is written and hosted by me, Brett Gaida, and produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Jaworski. Nick runs Podcast Monster, where he makes your podcast sound awesome. Now, being that this episode is talking about no more excuses, I asked Nick, you know, what about people out there who have an idea? They have a voice. They want to start a podcast, but maybe they're afraid that it won't be as good as the ones they listen to. And this was his response. I'm sick of tired hearing about... What a great hockey team the Soviets have! Screw them! This is your time! Now go out there and take it! There you have it. Nick can be found at podcastmonster.com. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney, additional music by Kevin McLeod, and cover art by Sam Goff. To subscribe to this podcast, go to iTunes or your app of choice. Connect with me on Twitter. What are your thoughts? How are you applying this information? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? My handle is at Brett Gaida. That's B-R-E-T-T-G-A-J-D-A. You can also check out our website at wherethersmoke.co. There you'll find show notes, which include a list of all the clips we use in each episode, as well as links to anything referenced in the show. You can also leave a voicemail for us there, share your feedback, your ideas, a question, a request. And you can join our mailing list right now by simply texting the word SMOKE to 66866. I mean, right now, while I'm talking to you, you can do that. Well, I mean, unless you're driving. But otherwise, right now, take out your phone, text SMOKE to 66866, and bam, just like that. That, you'll be on the list. You can also join on the website if you want to do it that way. Uh, my most valuable clip for this episode goes to Eddie Murphy from The Nutty Professor. It was the last clip added, and yet it feels like it was the first clip in my heart. You still make me laugh, Eddie. Finally, while Nick can't throw a football 40 yards, and I recently learned that the fifth gear I used to have running is now a third gear, we do have our own Super Bowl. And that Super Bowl is called the iTunes New and Noteworthy section. Just like the real Super Bowl, it takes a team effort to raise the trophy. So if you're up for running a route and doing a quick button hook on iTunes, please write a short review, even one word would work, and give us a five-star rating. Only if you mean it, of course. The last thing we want is any sort of controversy over deflated or inflated reviews. You are awesome. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.